0: Welcome back, ladies, and thank you for joining me this Wednesday. This is your host, Princess James, and this is another episode of Ambitious Souls Podcast. So I do apologize, but I'm going to be solo on this episode. I did have arrangements for a special guest to be here with me today, but unfortunately, she wasn't feeling really well, so we decided to go ahead and cancel the recording um, I still have not heard back from my publisher to get a specific date on when the book will be printed. The book is ready, but I have not received a printed copy. So I have not heard back from them. I will be sending them an email um, probably next week. I said I was going to give it to November the 12th um, before I email them again. So I'm going to follow up with them next week about the book, but... I did want to share some stuff with you about domestic violence because I am a survivor of domestic violence. So a lot of people, of course, we already talked about it. October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. But we do not want to shy away from what domestic violence is, how you see the triggers, the red flags, just because it's not necessarily October. Like, that's something that we want to look at every day in our relationships or, you know, see the signs in, you know, our relationships with our friends. Because sometimes we have friends who isolate themselves because of the violence. Um that they suffer from and the embarrassment that they feel so some of those things that I'm going to share with you today hopefully it'll help you if you're going through something similar to what I went through or if you actually know a survivor of domestic violence so on average more than one in three women and one in four men in the U.S. will experience rape physical violence and or stalking by an intimate partner One in 10 high school students have experienced physical violence from a partner in the last year alone. Women ages 18 to 24 and 25 to 34 generally experience the highest rates of intimate partner violence. So that was some statistics that I was able to come up with so that um, I could have just a basis for you guys like i wanted to make sure that everything that i was given was facts and i was able to set the foundation with some things that we probably really don't look at and one of the things that i want to point out is where it said that one in four men in the u.s will experience those type of things and that's unfortunate a lot of people think that domestic violence is all about women but no there are men who suffer from being in domestic violence Relationships, And it's so unfortunate that anybody has to go through things like that. Another thing I wanted to point out was how women ages 18 to 24. And when you're 18, you're just graduating high school. You're not really sure where you're headed in life. And you're so young. And to go through that at a young age is so traumatic. So um, if you know anybody or yourself that's dealing with it or have dealt with it, My heart really pours out to you because um, I, too, like I said already, we already know I'm a survivor of domestic violence. And so um, I'll tell you how it happened. So when I dated my my daughter's dad, we did have a physical fight one time, but that was the first and only time we ever fought. So our relationship was on and off, but it wasn't anything physical, except for that one time that I can recall that we actually got physical with each other. But when I met my husband, um, I did not know that he was a very violent person. He was very, um, I would say stocky, you know, he was big cause he had just got out of jail and I didn't really know that. And I didn't know what he went to jail for. So when I've Like I said, when I first met him, I was trying to get to know him. I was trying not to pry. Like, I was trying to do things different. And different really, um, it really cost me some things. So, as we began talking, he did tell me that he was just released from jail, like I stated. And so, I didn't ask why. So, as we started dating, I ended up finding out that he was on probation for a physical altercation that he had with one of his ex-girlfriends and he had violated the probation. And that's why he actually had to go do some time, but he was still on probation when he got out. So according to him and other people, you know, that I listened to him and the ex-girlfriend were violent with each other. That's kind of, what kind of relationship they had so I was trying to be I guess very understanding about the situation because I didn't know all the facts but I feel like at the end of the day I was being very naive about what was really going on because there was no exception for a man to physically harm a woman so again I just brushed past it and so Maybe like a month into our relationship, a little bit over a month, I ended up finding out that he actually was released from prison and he was living with the mother of his child. Now, that's not what I was told in the beginning, but I found out a little bit, <laughs> in my opinion, I felt like it was a little bit too late, but it was quite early, but... I think I had kind of already had fallen head over heels for him. And I know you're saying like, Princess, you said a month. And yes, I was already deep in. I was really liking the guy. And I just really, really just, I felt like I loved him. And so I overlooked the fact that he lied to me about being in a relationship with the mother of his child, which they actually shared a house together. The car that he was driving when he would come see me, he was driving her car. It was just toxic. And so eventually she got tired of him and she put him out. Now of course he told a different story and there was some things that had transpired to where he got physical with her. So the story kept changing and he ended up getting a one off for his arrest because of the fact that he was on probation. Now, even though he physically harmed her, um, she was still in contact with him. So it was very hard for me at the time to actually believe her. Because I'm like, okay, if he hit her in the head with a gun, why is she still talking to him? And I just had all these other things going on in my mind to justify what really happened. And so, we still dated. We were still um, doing everything that we were doing before I found out what he had did or allegedly had done. And he was kind of on the run. He didn't want to turn himself in. He didn't want to face the cops. He was, you know, refusing to deal with the situation. He kept brushing down the rug. So, one day she came to my house and they were arguing on the porch and he hit her. And so, it was like I stood there like I froze because I didn't know what to do. And she was hitting him, he was hitting her. They was both hitting each other. And I just didn't know what to do. And I did nothing. And I still was with him. He still lived in my house. And so one day he left the house and he came back and he made this big scene about the toilet seat being left up he left the toilet seat up when he left and this that and the third or something it had something to do with the toilet seat that's all I remember so I'm in the kitchen and I was washing dishes my daughter was at the time I believe she was like four about to be five and I had one of my cousins there with me. And he was pretty young. I think he was maybe two or three. And he was staying in my house. And again, I'm washing the dishes. The kids have already bathed. The dinner had already been cooked. And I'm in the kitchen. Before I knew it, he literally grabbed me, threw me on the floor and was choking me. He was on top of me. And I had to call his sister to come get him because I was just done. Like I had never really been through anything like that. And it was very terrifying. So she came and got him. And he left. Um, of course, he came back. Maybe like the next day, he was saying how he wanted to come back because he was scared that he was actually going to go to jail because the cops knew his mom's address. And they were going to find out he was there. And he had a one off for his arrest. So eventually, I ended up letting him come in back. And. He stayed for, like, the night, and I told him, like, the next day, you really got to go back to your mom's because I was scared. So, on the way to his mom's house the next day, which was the 4th of July, he went to jail. We got pulled over by the police, and he went to jail because, of course, he had a warrant. So, there's a part of me that feels like, at some point, I feel like God was really trying to free me from this situation. Like literally the next day after he choked me, he went to jail. But instead of me reevaluating the situation and really seeing things for what they really were, I kept giving him chances. So I said to myself, well, I'm not going to leave him while he's down and I'm going to be with him while he's incarcerated. He was sentenced to three years. Which he did all of the three years because his behavior was not up to par while he actually was in prison. And during the time that he was in prison, he was very abusive um, verbally. And I just, you know, I overlooked it. I understand his frustration. Like, I put up with a lot. If you know me personally and you know some of the things that I went through, it was very hard. The three years are very hard. And I went to every prison. I made sure I visited him. I put money on the phone. He would hang up in my face and call back like we spent hundreds of dollars on phone calls because there will be days where we were going back and forth. It was just so much. And I really felt like my relationship with God was going to save my husband. And I felt like I was different. I felt like I was different from every other girl that he dated because, of course, we got married, which we did get married while he was in prison. So I did not have a proposal. I did not really have a ring that he purchased. And I really felt like I was desperate and I really wanted to be married. I feel like marriage was an accomplishment that I had to have to prove to everybody else that he really loved me and so I'm not gonna say that he didn't love me but that wasn't love and so again um he served the three years once he got home we were doing great that's what I thought like Um, He came home the 4th of July weekend of 2015. And, you know, things were going really well. He was, you know, helping out with the kids. He was um, being very patient with me, like, just giving me all this attention everything. Like, everything was going good for, like, I would say maybe the first two, three weeks. Not even, really not even it, because the first day he came, not the first day, but the second day he came home, he stood me up. I had planned a party at my house for all of my family to meet him because not every one of my family had met him before he actually went to prison. And so I did all of this thing for him to make sure that, you know, everybody could meet him and get acquainted with him because I'm really a family oriented person and he purposely did not come home all day until everybody left. So yeah, that really, yeah, this that really was hurtful. That was heartbreaking. Um, because I put my heart into that. So nevertheless, I had planned a trip for us to go to Vegas. And so we went to Vegas. We had a wonderful time. I saw a part of him that I had never seen. Because we had never been anywhere together. We had never done anything together. Because we were only together about five or six months before he went to prison. And then the next three years were kind of, you know, phone calls and visits through the glass. So we didn't really date. There was no dating. There was no courtship. There was nothing. There was not even the bare minimum. So the day we got back from Vegas. We were gone for probably like four days and everything was awesome. Somebody texted my phone and it was a guy. And at the time we were sharing a phone because we only had one income and we had three children at the house. So he was upset to the point where he broke my phone in half. Like literally, he broke an iPhone in half. And he choked me. That was not the first time that he choked me. And it wasn't the last time. It got to the point to where when he didn't feel like he trusted me or when he was paranoid, he would either choke me or he would slap me. And I just got to the point, like, I really was embarrassed. I was embarrassed because, of course, I allowed social media to make me feel like I just had to have this beautiful life. And if I didn't have what the people around me had or I didn't live a certain lifestyle that... I had less or I was less than like I felt less than I had low self-esteem and I've suffered from just um depression and a lot of things during that time so I was just so caught up on what people would think about me if they knew the hell that I was going through because I went through hell those three years he was in prison and then for him to come home and make it bad for me like that was not something I wanted to tell people it got to the point where I stopped going to church where I wasn't talking to my parents and I didn't really see my friends because I didn't want anybody to know and I would say I was done and then the next day he would come back home like it got it was so routine that the police officers knew us because i was calling the police it had got to a point where i was calling the police every other day because i was just that scared he was going to hit me there were days where he didn't hit me and i still called the police but i was scared that he was going to hit me so the final straw was um in december of 2015 he had already hit me a few times before And he actually had bruised my neck one time and it was really bad to where my um, mom, she had to take pictures of my neck so that I could see it because I hadn't even seen it. Like I left the house and I literally just, I ran downstairs with my kids and got them in the truck and I ran to my dad's. Like I drove from Cyprus to Pearland to um, my parents' house. And so I hadn't even seen my neck. I wasn't even worried by my neck at that point. I didn't even have a phone at that point. So in December 2015, he had already lost his job. And some days he would get up early, some days he wouldn't. So there were some days where he would drive me to work and um, be riding around all day. But this particular day, he didn't get up. So I was trying not to be late for work because, of course, now that he's home, I have this repetition of being late for work because of the fact that, you know, he want to be up all night. He want to be doing all this. And my relationship with him was really affecting my job because I would be late to work. I would be late on my lunch like it was just so much other stuff going on. And so this morning, I was just tired. I was like, okay, he's not getting up. I'm gonna go ahead and drive. So I drove to work. He called me and he wanted me to bring him the car. So I told him no. And he was upset because I would not bring him the car on my lunch break. So he could go do God knows what. And so he did threaten me and I was scared. I did not know if he was going to hit me, but I didn't want to take any chances. I called the police. They came up to my job. I did a report. And unfortunately, I got evicted that same day. And it felt like my world crashed in front of me because it was like December the 15th. My rent was late because he had access to my money. So I had to pay the rent, which was like $1,000. And I had to pay the late fees. And of course, it was the 15th. So you're talking about two weeks of lay fees plus the rent. So that was all of my check. I got off. I went home. He was sitting at the front gate because they had already made sure that he, that he had already um, left the apartment. The manager came with the police officers. They asked him to leave the house. And she had told me on the phone that they wasn't going to evict me, that they just wanted him to leave. But then when they talked to the police officers and they ran the report and they saw how many times that I had called the police, they were saying that they wasn't for sure that I actually was going to fall through with it and keep him away from the apartment. So she said, ma'am, you have 24 hours. No, she said you have 48 hours to get your stuff. Man, that was like really... The worst part of my life. Like, it was the worst day of my life because I had three babies and we had lived in that apartment for two years. And I had to really pack up my life in two days. And I didn't know how I was going to do that. I didn't have any money, I had nowhere to go, and I was just destroyed. Luckily, my parents allowed me to move back into their house, which, um, wasn't really big enough for me and my three kids but we made it work and um I stayed there until I was able to get an apartment before the eviction hit my credit now you would think after all of that that I would not talk to him anymore but I didn't because I allowed the enemy to manipulate some things that were going on in my life and it felt like I needed to talk to him and I needed to be around him like a escape. So from December, probably until about February of 2016, I still remained in contact with my husband and we would go back and forth and then i think around about february i decided you know what i'm going to stop talking to him and i started seeing a the therapist thanks to my job with through their eap program and the counselor actually helped me come to the conclusion that i should get a divorce so in june of 2016 i actually got a divorce from my husband and it was like the best feeling to take my life back and i thank god that I didn't, you know, lose this battle because I remember it was like yesterday when he was on top of me and he was choking me. I feel like I was going to die. I knew I couldn't breathe and I just didn't know what was going to be the end result. I didn't know if he was going to let go, if I was going to black out, you know, what was he going to do to my kids? If something happened to me or if they walked in the room, like there were so many thoughts that ran through my mind. But yet I continue to talk to him. I continue to confide in him. And you know what? It has been four years later and I still battle with it every day because there are plenty of times when I'm having a conversation with my mom or with myself and I think about love how you know I'm single, how I want to date, how I want this in a man. And there have been times when I have used my relationship with my husband. Well ex husband. I know I've said husband through the um course of this podcast, but yes, he is my ex husband and will remain my ex husband. But Again, there are many times when I think about my relationship with him and I always use him as a point of reference. Because I'm still learning to see things for what they are. And that was pure dysfunction. And sometimes when you are... I guess you could say numb to dysfunction. You don't really recognize it as dysfunction. And you think that some behaviors are normal. But no, it's never okay. It's never normal for a man to call a woman out of her name. And even now, dating, I can't date somebody who calls me the B word, the H word, or anything outside of princess. And it's like a bad trigger for me. I do not like to date men who yell. Like, I don't like to argue And I was dating this guy one time where he used to yell at me. And I just, for that reason alone, I stopped talking to him. I really liked him, but I just couldn't get comfortable with the fact that he felt like it was okay to yell at me. And it actually would scare me, you know? And now I still have nightmares. Even when I started writing a book, I think when I finished the book, and I went, you know, I've been going through all the things to get it published. I started having nightmares about my relationship with my ex-husband, and so it was really hard to put all those thoughts and those feelings on paper. It was like it just opened up a door that I wasn't ready for, and going through that has made me look at things so differently, because I remember there was a time where I was judgmental. You know, I would see women go through stuff, and hear about stories, see stuff on the news. And I'm like, no, that'll never be me. Or why is she still talking to him and he doing her like that? And he hitting on her like that. I was there, you know, and I don't know if there's really a reason for somebody really to go through that or to put themselves through that. I think it's, um, I definitely know that it's low self-esteem. I know that it's low self-worth. Like, you know, you just want to be loved. And you feel like this person loves you. Like, at one point, I feel like that was my best friend. That was somebody I could tell everything to. That was somebody that, you know, I could do stuff with. Like, we had some of the same, you know, interests. And so, it was like we were so compatible. And at some point, I missed it, you know? So, that, I think that alone, you know, holds women to some men. Because they share so much, connected so much. And invested so much in a man that they don't want to seem to the world or even admit to themselves where they failed. And I wouldn't necessarily say it's failed because I didn't fail life. I probably failed at picking the right type of man, but I didn't fail at life. And here I am four years later, I'm glad that I got evicted. I wasn't glad then, but I'm glad that I did. Because what if I had never gotten evicted? I would have still been with him. And I would have still been going through so much. And I don't think people really see that. Um, The blessing, the freedom of separating yourself from the dysfunction. And so um, when I was, I think I was 18 years old. And there was this young girl that I used to go to school with. Actually we used to be best friends in middle school. And her name is Paula Perez. And she was killed. She was killed in two thousand seven at the hands of the father of um her child. He he killed her and he killed himself. And they are, you know, um, you know, rest in peace, they are survived by their son, um, I don't even know how old he is now, so that was in 2007, and he was already born in 2020, so that's 13 years, so he's probably 12 or 13, and so, um, he does, to the last of my knowledge, he lives with his mother's family, he lives with Paula's family, and of course, he does have a relationship with his father's um family as well. And so it's just tragic, you know, a lot of things happen like that. Where people actually lose their life to gun violence. I remember a story um in twenty sixteen. If you're from Houston, you know it probably very well, where um, a young lady was dating this guy. She had three beautiful little girls with, with this gentleman and he was abusive and they had an on and off relationship and she ended up dating somebody else. So the gentleman that she was, um, dating had came over to her house one night and the father of her child or of her children came over as well. I guess he knew or kind of had a tip that you know, the guy was over there, and he killed both of them. He killed um, that guy, and he killed that girl. Three kids. She had three girls with him, and he had other children. And the gentleman that he killed actually had two kids as well. So it's just unfortunate, you know, when you play with certain things, and you dibble and dabble, and in domestic violence, like it's nothing to play with, it's not anything to take lightly, so I just thank God, you know, I haven't always been as comfortable to tell my story, or been able to speak out about it, because, you know, you live in it, you know, sometimes you feel shameful, but I tell you what, you know, there's such a freedom in allowing yourself to let go of the guilt, the shame, the hurt, the pain, all of that, And you have to stop beating yourself up because everybody makes mistakes. And, of course, our mistakes would have cost us our lives. But at the same time, those who have not lived have no scars. And that's one of my favorite quotes now. Um, It speaks volumes. And so I hope that you were blessed today. I don't know if you know somebody that's going through what I went through or something, you know, Similar or maybe even worse, but I would definitely advise you to be in prayer for them that they do come to realization that what they're going through is not healthy. And also for their safety, for the safety of their children, because domestic violence doesn't affect just affect like the woman or the man who's going through it. It affects the children that see it because it's traumatizing. And that's something that they have to live with. If they don't bury, you know, those memories, they have to relive them. And so it's just, it's it's not a good feeling. It's not a good feeling. And it's not a good feeling when you're being judged and when you're being talked down to by people that you love and that you trust and you try to confide in and tell them your situation. And that's why a lot of people don't tell people what they're going through until afterwards because of the judgment and all of those things that people say so if you know like i said if you know somebody going through through that or has gone through it just be mindful of your words because your words has so much power and i don't think people really realize that so again i hope you guys really enjoyed just this episode me being able to be you know transparent and honest with you and I hope that it has helped you. And I hope that you know you reach out to somebody that you love that, um, again is going through it or has gone through it, and maybe find a way to help them to deal with it, to cope with it, to move on from it. I will be back, um, in about two weeks so that we can dive into some other topics. Hopefully, I have another special guest. And if not, it'll be me by myself again. Thank you guys for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day, a wonderful night. It just depends on whenever you listen to this recording.